I'm Dr. Max Pemberton, a doctor and Daily Mail columnist, and this is part two of a special three-part podcast for Mail Plus Health, where I speak to Dr. Adrian Morris, Principal Allergist at the Surrey Allergy Clinic in Guildford in London, and Honorary NHS Consultant at the Allergy Clinic at the Royal Brompton Hospital. My partner has a constantly stuffy nose. Either one nostril or the other is always blocked. And I wonder if it could be a house dust mite allergy. Isn't it quite common? If so, what are the signs and what's the best way to try and deal with it? We don't have any pets. This is interesting. Actually, I've seen lots of patients over you know, my, the yeah. course of my practice um, who kind of you know, always complaining of having stuffy nose, if they've always got cold, you know, what is it, and so on and so on. Um, so, so is this a dust mite allergy? It sounds like it. Uh, we know for a fact that people who have pollen allergy, they sneeze more and they have a runny nose and their eyes tear and it's more explosive. Uh, with dust mite allergy, it's more uh, subtle. They slowly get a blocked nose and congestion and headaches and sinus congestion and a post-nasal drip and they feel out of sorts. And that's how a dust mite allergy tends to present. And they respond better to the nasal sprays than the antihistamines, which help the hay fever sufferers more. And in which case you want to try and reduce dust mite exposure, paying special attention to the bedroom and bedding. But it's a good idea before you go and buy yourself a whole lot of air purifiers, filters, new bedding, new mattress, rip up all the carpets and put laminate flooring down to go and get yourself tested and see, am I actually allergic to house dust mites? Because if you're not allergic to house dust mites, then all of those measures just don't make sense. And it's a huge expense if you're going to do that. And it's right, isn't it? Because it's actually, it's, the, it's their droppings. It's the feces, isn't it? It's not, it's not actually the mite. It's their, no. it's their droppings. Is that right? No, the mite doesn't bite you or do anything to you. It just lives in your bed. It eats your skin scales. That's their food source. So people with eczema or who exfoliate a lot tend to have bigger populations of dust mites living with them in their bedding. And if they don't wash their sheets and, 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 and bed clothing uh, once a week, then that tends to accumulate. And then these dust mites sit there eating all their, their skin scales and pooing in the bed. And that becomes a fine powder, which then gets into the air and you breathe it in. Absolutely disgusting. I remember this actually for very, a very, it's one of the things I remember very vividly from medical school when I did in nose and throat ENT surgery. And yeah. I remember there was a, a rhinologist, I think she was called, uh, a sort of you know, specialist in, in, yeah. in, in, in the nose. Uh, and I remember her making it, and everybody went back after she gave us this lecture. Everyone went back and washed all their bedding and kind of panic. <laughs> so I remember her picking up a pillow and she said, I don't know if it's true, but she said, um, after 10 years, if you haven't washed your pillow, 10% of the weight of your pillow yeah. is dust yeah. mite feces. And I remember just thinking, oh my God, this is the most disgusting statistic. It's the only thing I can remember from ENT surgery. And I, even now, even now, every six months, I wash my pillows. Um, yeah. and, and I'm really fastidious. I've always got, you know, kind of, uh, they've been, you know, airtight um, pillowcases and stuff like that. Because um, I'm very sort of paranoid about about. Yeah. Because pillows are cheap. I tell people every year to turf them out and get a new pillow because even if you're washing it, are you going to wash all the dust mite particles out or are you just going to wet them? And I don't know. Tell me this. Am I? <laughs> Is this the problem? <laughs> <laughs> so you literally, would you actually recommend that people just throw out their pillows? No, yeah, yeah. Wow. They, they're not expensive. Um, you know, send it off for recycling or whatever. But, um, but, but actually get yourself a new pillow. Don't try and dry clean it or wash it because then you're just going to get a whole lot of wet feathers and gunk inside there that the dust mite particles are going to all be clinging to. Oh, so, so I suppose that's particularly important if you, if you are 
prone to, to allergies and yeah. so on, then that's yeah. particularly important. I mean, I just don't like it because I just don't like the general idea of it. Um, but I suppose I'm not, I don't have any allergies particularly, apart from yeah. either. Um, but, but it sounds like certainly if that was a, a particular problem for you, to actually sort of take this as a, you know, take it in hand and set up a routine where you're routinely changing your bedding. The other thing is natural sunlight, so ultraviolet light kills off dust mites. If you hang your duvet and pillows out in the sunshine on a hot Saturday afternoon, that would also help a lot. But if you pollen allergic and all the pollen lands on there in the afternoon, then you're going to swap the one allergen for another. So oh, no, careful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, so I think I could be allergic to certain foods, especially those containing gluten, as I feel tired, sick and bloated after eating them. What do you think about the blood test you can buy online to test for everything? I was tempted to buy one, but it's 350 pounds. Uh, this actually is particularly interesting to me. I, I work a lot in eating disorders. Well, that's, that's yeah. the area that yeah. I work in. Um, and, and we see a lot of people who maybe have got other complicated relationships with food or issues with yeah. food, yeah. believing yeah. that they've got like an allergy to something. Yeah. And actually maybe they just, you know, it, it's, it's other, other, other psychological or other physical problems. Um, um, and a lot of people are kind of very convinced that, you know, they're kind of following exclusion diets for dairy or gluten and so on and so on. So, so what, what, is, what, what do you think about these tests then? Do they work? They, they do. I mean, you know, it's uh, horses for courses. Uh, you, you might go and buy something and it's just a, 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 a hoax test. Uh, but there are actually very good home tests available on things like Allergy UK and, 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 and certain authentic websites. And these tests do work, but at 350 pounds is quite a big spend to find out if you're gluten intolerant or not. I would have thought about 20 pounds you could buy one of these tests. But the one thing is you need to be consuming gluten. If you stop gluten and you do the test, you're gonna get a negative result. Because right. you- so It will say that you, you're not allergic, but actually you are just because you're not eating it. Yeah. So, so you've got to be consuming gluten for about six weeks before you do the test. And I often find people come into my clinic and they say, I've been off gluten for 10 years now. I, don't, I want to find out, am I still gluten sensitive? I say, well, I can't test you because the test is going to be negative, I'm pretty sure. You're going to have to go off and reintroduce it into your diet for six weeks, possibly feel terrible uh, during that time, and then we can test you because gluten intolerance and celiac disease are quite subtle things. I mean, there's 1% of the population are celiac and they might never be picked up. They just have slight anemia, they feel tired, lethargic. Uh, they might not even have gut issues. They might just be tired, lethargic, anemic. And so it's a good thing to screen generally people who are under the weather generally for, for gluten and, and pick those ones up. But I wouldn't, I would be very careful. I do some research about the online testing because you want to be careful that you get the right thing because otherwise you over-diagnose it. And there's some people, you, you send a stool sample off to America and they diagnose all sorts of outlandish parasites and gluten sensitivity. Yeah, this is exactly what I've had with some of my patients. Exactly yeah. that, yeah. And they say, no, but look at this one. And they come with this amazing spreadsheet of all the things that they've got growing in their guts. And, and, and then there's always the supplements. They end up with about a thousand pounds worth of supplements they got to buy and then they get trapped into this whole thing um and so gluten sensitivity is the new epidemic now uh, amongst the worried well everyone thinks they're gluten sensitive and some people are so you get this non-celiac gluten uh, intolerance um and that's more of a fodmap thing have you heard of fodmaps these are fermentable carbohydrates in the diet so we all get a bit bloated and uncomfortable if we 
drink too much dairy or if you drink, eat too much pizza. And that's a just a normal thing that you don't digest the carbohydrates easily. So they form gas and you get bloated and you're uncomfortable, but that's not an allergy and it's not dangerous, but it can be uncomfortable and unpleasant. And a dietitian would be able to help you with a low FODMAP diet. Although it's quite hard to follow a FODMAP diet. It? It's, Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. People often, I think sometimes quite like the idea of thinking, oh, well, if I just exclude this group, um, then, you know, I, I'm, it's going to solve all my problems and stuff. Yeah. And then actually when they, you then send them to a dietitian, they get put on a, on a FODMAP diet. They often come back and go, do you know what? Actually, I thought I was bloated. Maybe I'm actually not that bad. Because <laughs> it's, it's really, it's exhausting. It's tiring. Yeah. It's incredibly limiting. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, but it's, so I've seen this lots and lots of times in clinics. Um, and I think, you know, food is a really potent cultural symbol and stuff. And so people will often, you know, like the idea that, some, that something, there's one thing they could just cut out that's causing all the problems. And actually, often, I think it's a bit more complicated than that. That's right. um, but it sounds like there are blood tests then. So these, these are over the, 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 the kind of, you know, blood tests you can buy um, and send back to them. So, you, so they are effective because I always, I was cautioned about that. Um, saying you should be better to go and see an actual doctor in person. Yeah, sure. Because A, you might waste all your money because if you go and do the gluten test and you've been uh, avoiding gluten, there's no point in that. Mm. Um, but they're quite simple. They're little finger prick ones. We put a drop of blood onto a little pad and then it changes color. And you can. So some of them are actually pretty good value, I think. But there are those uh, other ones that aren't. So you so you saying that you could you can look on Allergy UK is that right the website uh, for yes. the, the charity yes, they're, they're very helpful they're a charity that help allergy mm -hmm. sufferers and there's the anaphylaxis campaign also another excellent organisation and all their advice is validated scientific stuff you're not going to get some crazy person who's just invented a diet and 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 the only person who uses it if, if if there's only one doctor doing this test then you must think hang on why is only one person doing this test why why do I have to send it to America or Denmark or out of Mongolia? Because they would do it here in the UK if it really was worth having. Yeah. Um, I get post-nasal drip. I was told it might be caused by acid reflux, but I don't have the classic symptoms. What else could be causing it? I read somewhere that it could be an allergy. Now, so can you just explain what that, what post-nasal drip is? Yeah. So post-nasal drips, that bit of mucus that runs from your sinuses down the back of your throat when you've got allergies or sinus congestion and it irritates and you <clears throat> have to clear it and it's unpleasant. So people with chronic long-term nasal allergies and rhinitis often do have a post-nasal drip. Those with um, dust mite allergies would have it. But it's interesting that uh, acid reflux, which is brought up by this person, is the great mimic of allergies. Because if you've got silent gastroesophageal reflux at night, this acid's going up into the back of the post-nasal space, it can actually trigger off uh, sinus congestion, even asthma. And so uh, I do see a lot of people who come in with chronic coughs, sinus issues, and we test them for allergies and they had, don't have an allergy at all, nothing. We you know, go through the whole thing, no allergies whatsoever. It doesn't seem to be responding to the nasal sprays. And you think, well, put you in a trial of, of reflux treatment and see what happens. And they often come back a week later and say, I can't believe it. My cough disappeared, my nose is all clear. And then you can put the edge of the bed up or, uh, or, or, or slowly wean them off that you don't want to put them on the proton pump inhibitors or whatever. But it's a it's a common mimic of allergies is is silent reflux and it's something yeah, to I, think about. 
I actually, I had a patient actually, she was really tormented by this post-nasal drip. I mean, it was really, really, really driving her mad. She was really upsetting her. Um, and she'd been, and there was no allergy, and she was convinced it was an allergy, and she'd cut out all these different foods, convincing it was something. Um, and actually, uh, somebody put, a GP put on a Omeprazole, and it solved yeah. it, which, you yeah. know, the, the kind yeah. of reduces the acid in the stomach. So it's interesting. So, so you're saying, so it could be, it could be because this post-nasal drip can be a symptom of, of an allergy, but also it can be that when you lie down, the acid then sort of yeah. you know, agitates the back of your nose and, um, and that causes and triggers this, this drip. Is that right? And there is another condition that occurs in uh, middle-aged males called vasomotor or non-allergic rhinitis. And these individuals, they just have profusely runny noses. So if they didn't have a handkerchief or tissue, their nose would just drip constantly onto the ground around them. Um, and they respond very well to an ipratropium bromide nasal spray. So not an allergy spray, but a different spray, which switches off this nasal tap. They call it the old man's drip because they, they know it's just poor. Is that, is that just an age thing then that just comes it's on? Usually older people. So usually older males, doesn't seem to happen in young children and can be incredibly debilitating and embarrassing. And if you just give them this rhinotec or ipratropium spray, it makes a huge difference to their quality of life. Wow. So when there are no allergies and there's a really runny nose, that's something to think about. And again, if that's happening, would it, you could still go to an allergy doctor Absolutely. And to double check and then they'd be able yeah. to see whether or not there is an allergy. Yeah. That's all we've got time for today, but come back next week for part three. In the meantime, if you want more from Adrian, you can look at allergy-clinic.co.uk and you can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google. Whilst you're there, please leave us a review and don't forget to sign up for the Daily Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk.